Hey, why don't you go ahead and uh, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21 is going to be this morning. Last book of the Bible, easy to find. Uh, just go to the back and you'll hit it. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, we have people who would love to get a Bible into your hands. So if you forgot a Bible this morning, you didn't bring a Bible, throw your hand up, grab one of these. If you don't own a Bible, for sure throw your hand up, grab one of these, take it home as our gift to you. Turn to Revelation chapter 21. It's where we're going to be this morning. As we end off this, this series we've been in called The Kingdom. And I gotta tell you that as we're coming to this last, last sermon in this, this last book of the Bible, chapter 21 here of Revelation, I, I love this part of Scripture because here's what this part of Scripture is gonna show us this morning. That in the midst of the chaos of life, when, when things around us are confusing, we're, we're not sure what's happening, what's going on, that we can rest knowing that God has a plan and that God has a purpose. And that he's been writing this story, this kingdom story that we're all a part of. And, and, and this, this grand narrative, this, this story of the kingdom. And, and we recognize as we enter into this story that there are no coincidences. That you're here this morning for a purpose. That, that God has a plan for you. Maybe even this morning that, that God has you here for a reason. And so this morning we're, we're going to start off a little differently than we normally do. I, mean, I, I believe that this is true, that, that God has a plan for you. And so, so before jumping into the word this morning, I want to give an opportunity for all of us to take a few minutes just to, just to call out to God, just to, to pray to this God who has an appointment with you this morning, that you'd pray right where you are, just in the quiet of your heart. You take some time to pray right now to, to ask for God to speak clearly this morning. And you say, God, this is what I need. And maybe this morning you're, you, you need comfort, that you'd ask for it. Maybe this morning from God's word, you need, to, you need direction. There's some questions you got to, to help you, to lead you, to guide you, to ask for that. Maybe this morning, your life has not been going in the direction that you want it to go. And like, I, I need some changes that, that this morning, God would speak wisdom and conviction and encouragement into your heart this morning from his word. So, so just right now, in the quiet of your heart, let's just take a, a couple minutes, every one of us, just to, to call to God, just to ask God to speak this morning, clearly. And if you've never prayed before, you're just talking to God. That's all it is. That maybe this will be the first time you do it. That this morning you would call out, God, would you speak this morning? So would you take a, a couple minutes even right now? Heavenly Father, I thank you that with you there are no coincidences. That as a sovereign God who, who cares and rules, you, you have a plan for us and a purpose for us. And so this morning, I just pray, Lord God, that your, your purposes would be fulfilled in us this morning. Father, for those here who are needing comfort, that your words would be words of comfort this morning. God, for those who are here that that need direction, that your, your spirit would lead and guide through your word this morning. For those here who, who, who need change so desperately, God, that, that your word would provide the, the conviction, the encouragement, the challenge. Father, that you would speak so clearly through your word this morning that, that we would leave here knowing that we've met with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, as we uh, wrap up this series we've been in for, for a number of weeks now, and, and, and just a, a graphic here to show you kind of where we've been. We've, been. we've been sort of tracing out this story throughout Scripture, the story of God's kingdom, and, and how it, right at the very beginning, it begins with the, the kingdom was created, this perfect, amazing, awesome kingdom created, and Adam and Eve placed it in this garden, but then sin invaded that place. And what happened is that, that Adam and Eve decided, you know what, I don't think we trust God as our king. We would rather be our own king. We want to go our own way. We think God's withholding from us. So they wanted to choose to be their own kings. And in that moment, sin entered the world. And, and we can see this, this brokenness, this, this curse, as, as Scripture calls it, this curse of sin in our world. We, we see it all around us. It doesn't take much to look at, at relationships or circumstances or, or just the, the, the situations we find ourselves in where you can say somehow, in some way, in every one of those places, you, you can say, this is not how it was meant to be. But even as sin's curse was, was unraveling creation, we see that immediately God promised a new kingdom was coming. God, God promised that, that Adam and Eve promised to us that, that the kingdom would be restored. And then we've been tracing this all the way through Scripture to see that, that a new king was coming, that Jesus came as that new king, and he laid out, here is what the new kingdom is. And yet now as we come to the end of this series, to the end of this kingdom story, we see that that story that kingdom that was promised to us, that that kingdom that, that was restored as Christ came and, and that separation that, that we were living now outside of the kingdom and Jesus came and he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live and he died on the cross to pay the penalty for that sin that broke creation, that sin that separated us from a holy God and Christ paid that price and rose again from the grave and an empty tomb is this, this promise, this seal, this proof that the new kingdom is coming. And now the story ends with an even greater future hope. That yes, the, the curse of sin has been dealt with on the cross. The, because of the empty tomb, we live with hope. But, but we read here in Revelation that, that there is a redemption and a restoration of everything. There will, will be a time when Jesus makes all things right. And if you're a Christ follower here this morning, this is our future hope. If you're taking notes this morning, we're going to start off here. Here's our first point. We have the hope of a new kingdom. We, we have this hope of a new kingdom. I like that word new because if, if you look around, everything gets old, doesn't it? Our clothes wear out. I mean, look at technology. There's nobody here this morning who'd be fired up if I showed you a Sony Walkman. Check it out. It plays tapes. People are like, tapes? What are tapes? I don't even know what that is, right? Th things get old. Even our bodies. Our bodies, you can feel it, right? Your body wasting away. And then we read here in Revelation chapter 21, in the first five verses, the word new is used four times. The, what was cursed by sin, what was damaged, what was broken, what was spoiled by sin is being recreated. It's being made new. God's taking this broken down kingdom we live in right now and he says, I'm gonna make it new, full of life. I'm gonna make it perfect. I mean, think about that. There's, there's gonna be a day when we don't have to worry about the call from the doctor. The test results coming back. The, 
We have to worry about broken lives or broken relationships or broken hearts. And that, that we know that in Christ, we, we're promised that we have newness, but we read here this newness is getting better and better. If you're here as a follower of Christ, you've tasted this newness already. Right? You, you, you can say, you know what, my heart has been changed and, and, and I, I'm not the same person I was. I mean, I get this idea of newness. What was old and dead in me has now been made alive. And maybe you're here this morning, I mean, you can stand up and testify and say, listen, I used to think church was just boring. I, I used to read God's word and I, I didn't understand it. I didn't see what was so important about it. I, my, my life used to not make so much sense, but man, since Christ came in, since I serve him as king now, I mean, it's, it's all new. It's, it's like my heart's alive. It's like something's different. It's that taste of this new kingdom. But, but as great as that is, it, it's still just a taste. It, it's like the, the smell when you open the bakery doors as you walk in. It, it's great, but there's, there's something even greater coming. Like look at verse one of, of chapter 21 of Revelation. It says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. He said, there, there, there's a new heaven and a new earth. What we see around us here, this is passing away. We, we can feel that. And, and we, feel, we feel the passing away, but he's saying there's something new coming. There's something exciting about that. I mean, I get that feeling every spring when we go through what feels like an eternal winter like we are this year, right? And you just have that, man, it's so, so good that it's, it's ending. There's, there's something new coming. And I get it. Some of you snowmobiles are like, no way. February in Muskoka is heaven. Not for me. I'm huddled up by the fire just waiting for July for, for when I think heaven in Muskoka really happens, right? But, but listen, as, as nice as things are here, I mean, how amazing God's creation is right now. I mean, just this February, we, we had the privilege of, of going down to Arizona and as a family going to see the Grand Canyon. And I don't know if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, but let me tell you, it is awesome. I mean, if you've seen my kids around church here, especially my two younger ones, they, they don't stop cartwheeling and flipping and spinning and they come to the edge of the Grand Canyon and it's like, wow. I mean, something's gotta be awesome to stop a kid who's not bar for flipping and cartwheeling. They just saw it and they're like, As, as amazing as that is, God created all of this in six days. He, he's been working on our future kingdom for thousands of years. The, the new heaven, the new earth, it's going to be amazing. And I, and I love it because what John says here is it's a new heaven and a new earth. And I think sometimes we miss that. We think of heaven and, and there's this wacky idea that heaven's going to be us sort of floating around on clouds playing harps. And I don't want to offend our really large harp playing community here at our church, but like that doesn't really fire me up. I, like, like when things are tough in my life, when, when, when things don't make sense, when I feel the pain of sin, the idea of, yeah, but one day I'll get a harp to play forever. <laughs> Not a lot of hope there. They're saying here, no, 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 it's a new heaven and a new earth. Here's a way to look at it. When, when Jesus was raised from the dead, after the resurrection, it says in scripture that he was, he was the first fruits of creation. What's that mean? It means this. It means that in Christ's resurrection, we get a glimpse of the coming harvest of resurrection, of new creation. So what was Jesus like after the resurrection? Well, he had a body, 
right? He, he ate food. Now, there were some differences, though, because he just kind of appeared and disappeared, so there's definitely something different going on there. And so, so if, if Christ is the first fruit, it means that one day God is going to do with the entire creation, the whole universe, he's going to do what he already did in the resurrection of Christ. He's going to make it new. That word there in, in Revelation here, when it uses the word new in the original Greek that it was written in, the word new, it, it, it can either, you have two words you can choose from, either new out of nothing or new recreated. That's the new here. It's a renewing. It's something that's been reworked. And God's taking something that was old and he's making it new again. Here, here's how I look at it. Everything that we love about creation now, everything we love about earth now, the new creation will be like that minus the curse of sin. I mean, think about that. I mean, what would a glorified Grand Canyon look like? I mean, I, I've never been to Hawaii, but I've seen pictures. I've seen TV shows and movies. I mean, what, what will a glorified Hawaii be like? I mean, if the current cursed version looks like that, what is it going to be like when it's made new? What will glorified food taste like? Will Chick-fil-A be everywhere? <laughs> and open on Sundays. I mean, for real, right? Will the Leafs win the Stanley Cup? Okay, let's not get crazy. You know, I, I was driving with my daughter just this week and we were, we were driving on the road and just talking about this. Hey, what will heaven be like? Like, like will, will there be different colors? Will, will, what will it look like? Will things be more vibrant? Will there be colors we never even knew about? What's it going to be like? This new earth. I mean, ever think about that? Will, will there be animals? I don't know. You know, kids always ask that question. Will Sparky be in heaven? I don't know if dogs will be in heaven. I'm not sure. But maybe, maybe. Will cats be in heaven? Don't get ahead of me. We're talking about hell a bit later in this sermon. <laughs> what God is saying here, listen, he's saying, I'm making all things new. He's saying, hey, you like creation now. There, there are parts of creation you like about this kingdom that you like. That's nothing. Wait till I see, wait till you see what I have for you in eternity. It's all new. In fact, John, in trying to describe it, it's like he can't come up with the words for it. If you ever read the book of Revelation, it just confuses you. Like, man, I don't understand what he's talking about. Because John's trying to describe things that, that he can't put into words. How do, how do I describe this? So he's using all this imagery and pictures. And so even as he describes heaven, look what he says in verse 2. And, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. I love that. I love that. Here's the thing. We don't go to heaven, right? Heaven's coming to us. The, the holy city. Here's what I like about that. When he talks about it as being a city, here's what that says to me. I mean, I love being in Muskoka. I love being out in creation and in, in nature. But, but here's what I picture. We read in scripture that, that every tongue and tribe and nation will be worshiping together in heaven. Have you ever been walking downtown Toronto and just been amazed at how many cultures and peoples and languages you see and hear around you? That's going to be heaven. It's, it's going to be just cram-packed, filled with what? With people created in the image of God. It's going to be phenomenal. But, but John goes on, and, and he, can't even, he can't even describe it. So what's he say? He's coming down out of heaven from God. He says, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. He's like, this is so amazing. I can't, even, I can't describe it to you, but it, it's, 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 like a, it's, it's like a bride. 
If you're, if you're a guy who's married here this morning, I mean, you get that imagery, right? I, I remember when, when I got married, I can still remember the moment when, when we got married, we didn't have a lot of money. So, so we didn't spend on, a, we got married in a backyard. Uh, we had, our, our reception was make your own sandwiches, picnic. Libby bought a dress that was the, the cheapest dress we could find. And yet, listen, listen, when I was standing there and she came around that house to, to come down the aisle, I still remember the moment to see her. I should have splurged on a tux. Like, that's what I was thinking, right? <laughs> There's nobody, no guy at his wedding day, when he sees his bride for the first time, who thinks, yeah, 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 she looks great, but check me out. No, you are so in awe. And you're thinking, man, I totally married up. How did I ever, how did I ever get to this place where I get that gift? So, so when we see heaven, we're not going to be saying, really, God, that's it? We're going to be in that same place where we're going, how did I end up here? How do I get this gift? How is this for me? So as you look forward, if you're a Christ follower and you're looking forward to eternity, here, here's what I'd say. You, know, you guys have like bucket lists? I mean, I've done that. I've written, you know, here's the things I want to do before I die. And I would say this, forget the bucket list. We've got eternity for a bucket list. I would say that's why when you read through history, people who are most fired up about eternity, their bucket list is, man, I just want to give my life for Christ. I want to see more people experience the gospel. I want to live my life differently and speak differently so I can have more people with me in eternity to experience this forever kingdom. I mean, think about it. If the universe as we see it now, so awe-inspiring is what God created for people who deny him and hate him, imagine what he's creating for his sons and daughters. Now, now here's the best part of heaven. Though. Look at verse three. It says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. You're just saying that this, this kingdom we have, this eternal kingdom, we, we have our hope of this eternal kingdom, it's in the presence of the king. I mean, that's the amazing part of this, that, that, that it says here, God's dwelling place will be with us. Maybe in your Bible, it's a different translation. It says his, he'll tabernacle with us, his tabernacle. What's it saying is this, that we read all through scripture that God revealed himself as, as dwelling in a tabernacle or a temple. And that's how people would relate to, to God. And, and every biblical picture you have of God is God at a distance. Always in the temple or the tabernacle. In fact, not just that, but, but he wasn't just in the, the tabernacle or the temple. He was in the Holy of Holies. One special place that only one person, the high priest, once a year, was able to go behind this huge curtain into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God. And then when Christ died on the cross, it says that curtain in the Holy of Holies was literally ripped from the top to the bottom. And so now if you're a follower of Christ, God's spirit is in you. You now are the tabernacle. You now are the temple. You now have the presence of God, the intimacy with God. But what we read here is it's gonna get even better. It's gonna get even better than that. You read Revelation chapter four and this picture of who God is right now in heaven and on the throne with millions of angels worshiping him and elders on their faces down before him, worshiping him as he sits on this throne surrounded by lightning and thunder. 
That's what's going on in heaven. And we read here that that God is going to live with us in a new heaven and a new earth. I mean, imagine what it'd be like to have God's close presence so accessible to you. I mean, back in verse one, he says that the sea was no more. What's that about? Well, what does it mean the sea will be no more? I think John's using, the, the writer of this letter, John's using symbolism. And it's this, this biblical symbolism, whenever sea is mentioned so often, it's, it's talking about strife. It's this picture of trouble and the unknown. And, and it's what separates it. It separates continents. John's writing this letter. And he's, he's exiled to the island of Patmos. He's separated from his, his family and his loved ones. And so he's saying here, listen, there is no more separation. We're no longer separated from God's presence. We're no longer separated from each other. That, that sin that causes division in, in relationships, that sin that causes division in your marriage, in your family, in our church, in our world, that that sin that causes this separation is completely dealt with. That sin that separates us from a holy God. That sin that separates us from each other. I love this verse, Isaiah 49, 22. It says this. It says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. In that day, in the last day, he says, I'll give the signal and they will carry your little sons back to you in their arms and they will bring your daughters on their shoulders. I have to think what this would mean for parents who have lost children. Maybe it was an accident, maybe it was disease, maybe a miscarriage. And this saying here, no more separation. That, that on that day, you will see your son brought to you in an angel's arms. There'll be your daughter riding piggyback on shoulders brought to you. I mean, what an unbelievable day this will be. And I get it that, that here and now, as we await that eternal kingdom, that yes, God is with us, that Christ came as Emmanuel, God with us, and we're, we're tasting a bit of it now that Christ promised us, I'll never leave you or forsake you. But, but Jesus also said this, he said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I think that's a promise. And yeah, you experience that now, but something even greater is coming, a greater relationship for those who know Christ. That there'll be a day when we no longer walk by faith, but we walk by sight. That day when that, that heart cry, that prayer that maybe you've prayed, where in that time of trouble, you're like, man, I just want to see Jesus. And that prayer will be fully answered. And we'll worship him, we'll serve him, we'll be served by him with no sin to mess with the relationship. I mean, listen to verse four, how John describes. Here's, here's creation. Here's life without sin. He says this, verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, we have this, this promise of a new kingdom with, in the presence of the king, but listen, where the curse of sin is reversed. The curse of sin is, is being reversed. He says he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. God will do that. Not an angel. Not somebody else. 
But Jesus himself will take his nail-pierced hands to wipe the tears from your cheeks. To wipe away the pain of life on earth. The things that ruined your hopes, the things that broke your heart, the things that even right now cause you to silently suffer and, and, and wonder why. It goes on, he says, death shall be no more. No more funerals, no more caskets, no more visitations, no more grave sites, no more goodbyes. All, all, all those things associated with death are, are gone as well. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. So no more doctors. I'm not saying doctors don't go to heaven, but I'm saying you lose your job in heaven, all right? No test results, no medications, no surgeries, no sickness, no worrying, no more countless sleepless nights. It will all be joy, new and full joy. And, and I love this, not just physical pain that's gone, but, but relational pain too. No, no more conflict, no more bullies, no more confrontation, no, no more need for those, those, hey, we need to talk kind of talks, right? Now listen, I praise God for a church where filled with people who love each other enough that, that if, if you need to, someone will come alongside you and say, hey man, we need to talk. Hey, I just noticed something in your life. We need and that is so good, but I'm also so thankful that when we get to the new heaven and the new earth, that small group accountability won't need to happen anymore. This whole passage here is about hope. It's, it's written as an encouragement to us that, listen, there'll be no more pain. And I, I gotta tell you, man, I'm, I'm, I'm so tired of pain. Whether, whether it's pain that I would experience, whether it's pain that I see my kids going through, whether it's pain that I watch as I, as I walk with you, as, as, as people who I love and I see the pain, or the pain that I see that I cause people. I mean, for some of you here this morning, you need to hear this hope this morning that the pain right now, the suffering right now, the discouragement right now, the separation you feel right now is not going to be like this forever. God's word says there's hope. And it's not a, it's not a blind hope. It's not a pie in the sky kind of hope. Look at verse five. It says, and he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I mean, these, these are the words of God. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning letter and the ending letter of the alphabet. I, I've, I've been here since eternity past, and I'm here for eternity. You, you could take my words as trustworthy and true. And I love how it says here that he says, it is done. Did you recognize those words? That's what Jesus said on the cross. He said, it's finished. It's done. It's completed. Now, now what's done? What, what's finished here? What the cross accomplished. And, and what the cross accomplished has its full fulfillment in heaven where sin is done. Sin is destroyed. Not just the penalty of sin taken care of, but now the power and the very presence of sin in this eternal kingdom. I'll tell you what, I, you know, I would love to stop right there and just say, you know, let's leave here encouraged with this hope of, of eternity and this eternal kingdom. But listen, listen, the text goes on. This, this message of eternal hope is not for everyone. 
I mean, God restoring, God rescuing, God renewing, it's the greatest hope we could ever grab a hold of. Yet in these next two verses, Jesus wants to let us know that there's also a greatest despair for eternity as well. Where the curse of sin will have its full effect. That we don't even feel the full effect of, of sin on the earth because of God's gracious restraining hand on it. But there is, there are those who will be eternally separated. Separated from this eternal kingdom. Separated from God. He, look at verse 7. It says, the one who conquers will, will have this heritage. That, that's the one who has this hope. I'll be his God. He will be my son. Verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, as, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Listen, this is so important. Not everyone is going to heaven. I mean, there are people, that, there are people maybe even here today in this room, and I'm, I'm sorry to say this, I don't say this to condemn you, I say this because I love you that if Christ were to return right now or if you were to die right now, that you would never experience this hope. I mean, it's so clear in Scripture that there's a line drawn and, and there are, there's a, a line drawn for, for those who have life and those who don't have life. And Scripture says those who have the Son, those who have placed their hope in Christ alone, they have life. Those who do not have the Son do not have life. Those who love their sin more than God. Those who refuse to let God be king and rule as king. Those who refuse the finished work of Christ. It says here that their future is in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Everybody dies, but for those with Christ, you, you will live again. But these here die a second death, this separation from God for eternity. And he says here, it's, it's in this, this place that burns with fire and sulfur. And people ask, is that, is that real, literal fire in hell that they'll be tormented for eternity? I mean, I lean to that. I would say that. But listen, even if you think, even if you think that maybe John's just using symbolism here, he's using the most horrible, awful, terrible, unspeakable kind of punishment you could think of. Listen, here's the darkest most horrible reality of what hell is. It is eternal, eternal separation from God. Now, who, who ends up there? It says here, the, the faithless, the faithless end up there, the, the unbelieving. Who, who are those? People who say, I don't need Jesus. I, I don't need faith. I, I'm, I'm good enough. I've, I've done good works. I've, I go to church. I, I help people out. So I don't need this whole God thing. He doesn't need to be my king. He says, the, the detestable. The detestable. Those who live as though God doesn't exist. And then, then he goes on with this, this list here. Murderers sexually immoral. I mean, people who are so wrapped up in what they want and so wrapped up in sin that you can never just, just see Christ as king and, and your lust becomes your king. Your sin becomes your king. You serve them as your king instead of serving Christ as king. It says sorcerers and, and idolaters. Talk about people who worship anything, anything but God. I can tell you that's tough. Because there are many times in my heart, in my life, where I put other things ahead of God. 
I mean, really, the whole reason why I sin is because I put that ahead of God. I mean, he goes on here and says, liars. I mean, why do we lie? We lie because we don't trust God and, and more worried about our image than worried that, that God would say, don't lie. Why would we cheat? We cheat because we love money. We think that's more important. We, we just want what we want more than we want God's holiness and God's righteousness. I mean, all sin really is just us pursuing other things that we think this will save me. So I'll pursue comfort. I'll pursue money, pursue lust, pursue image, pursue popularity, pursue power. So we read this list and, and maybe you're thinking like I am, and what hope do I have then? I mean, it starts off, Jesus says, cowards won't get in. People who fear, people who would fear to make a stand for Christ. I mean, have you done that? I've done that. I've shrunk back from standing up for Christ. I've worshiped other things more than I've worshiped Christ. I, I've pursued lustful thoughts. So where's my future? Where's your future? I mean, who actually gets into heaven then? Who, who actually experiences his eternal kingdom? Look at verse seven. It says really clearly, it says, the one who conquers will have this heritage. Well, who conquers? Who's the one who conquers? Who's the one who overcomes? First John 5, 4 says this, everyone born of God overcomes the world. world. He who believes that Jesus is God the Son. I mean, the, the most important question I can ask you this morning is, do you, do you believe that Jesus is God the Son? Have you placed your faith in him? That Jesus died on the cross for your sin, that your sin put him there, that, that, that sin that separates you from the holy, righteous God, and that, that you would say, it's, it's all on Christ, and, and I, I embrace his forgiveness for my sin. It's, it's in that that you become an overcomer. When you embrace the, the gift of salvation, God begins to make things new in your life right now. And he covers your shame, covers your sin. You're being made new every day. Things are changing. He's, he's turning you more and more into the image of Christ. For those who put their trust in him. So, so where's your hope? Where, where's your heritage? Where, where, where do you see eternity ending up for you? Here's our last point this morning is this, that, that this hope we have of this new kingdom with, under God as our king, where the curse of sin is reversed, this hope we have of this kingdom is for today. We can have a hope today because of this. This newness that's coming, it can change us here and now. Now, how does it do that? How do we experience this new life now? Look at verse five. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. So, so new life comes from where? It comes from the throne. It comes when we surrender that, that Christ, you are the king. I'm not the king. These things I'm pursuing are not the king. So how do we experience the newness of this eternal kingdom today? It's we, we go to the throne. We say, Jesus, I'm submitting to you. Jesus, I give you my fear. Jesus, I, I give you the sin that I keep pursuing. I, I, I give you this, this, this struggle that I'm having. I, I give you my worry. I, I give you my marriage. I give you my singleness. I give, I, I give you my future and my family. And, and I'm trusting in you as a king who loves me and will care for me. I'm not going to try harder to do it on my own anymore. 
It's not the perfect who have hope. It's those who put their trust in Christ as king. I mean, all of us can find ourselves in that list in verse eight. So, so how do we then experience the new life? Look at verse six. And he said to me, it's done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning, the beginning and the end. He says this, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. So it's not about us saying, Jesus, I'll do more for you. I'll serve you better. I'll be more courageous. It's those who recognize their thirst that apart from you, Lord Jesus, I don't have anything to offer. I'm going to you because you're the source of life. I'm not running anywhere else any longer. Our world is filled with people looking to have their thirst quenched. Now I look at my dog. My dog will drink anything when she's thirsty, all right? So with this thirst we have, we can go, go so many different places, anywhere to quench that thirst. We can go to the toilet water of success. Or pornography, or, or prestige, or, or recognition, or, or control, or safety, or comfort, or money, or power, or I'm going to do this my own way. There's got to be another way. It can't just be through Jesus. Listen, what we need is fresh, clean water that gives life. And so what do we do? We pray this, this prayer of thirst. We say, God, I need your newness this morning. Jesus, make me new today. And then from that prayer, we see our hope. We, we see our eternal hope. And it changes us. I mean, knowing that, that they were a part of this, this kingdom story, this, this true hope, the original readers of this letter, it changed their hearts completely. Knowing about this eternal hope, it changed. The people who were originally reading this, they, they would walk into the arena to be mauled to death by, by wild animals, and they walked in singing hymns. They praised God while they were being burned at the stake. They, they gave up comforts of, of here and now so they could sacrifice it all for the hope of, of others who needed hope and help. Why? 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 Because they had a real hope. If we have a guaranteed future and a hope, it has a dramatic impact on our here and now. Now, I've heard the saying, maybe you have too, where, where people say, oh, they're, they're so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. Right? It means, man, they're just always thinking about heaven so that they can't even relate to the here and now. Personally, I think this. When you look through the great men and women of history, the men and women of faith, they would prove that that statement is so untrue. In fact, the exact opposite is the case. The person who knows that their future is safe and secure and eternal and guaranteed will be free to, to live the most radically free life of love and sacrifice here on earth than anybody else. But I think of it this way. If you're in a plane and somebody falls out of the plane, no parachute, they're, they're plummeting to their death, you're not gonna jump out after them if you don't have a parachute on it would be a dumb jump, right? That two people are dead, great. But if you have a parachute on, you could leap out and do that cool James Bond thing. I mean, how many people would just love, right? How do you ever think of that? I mean, I just love to have an opportunity to do it, maybe, no? All right, but anyway, you would, you would be able to, with the parachute on, you could leap out. And someone would go, man, what gave that person the courage to leap out? It's because they had a security. They had a sureness. It's, it's the hope and safety of glory that releases this, this, this radical sacrificial life now. 
I mean, Paul said it in Colossians 1. He said, we've heard of the love and sacrifice you've had for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. It's, it's this assurance of, of hope in heaven now that, that releases this risk-taking love, the, the risk to forgive, the risk to give sacrificially. The, the risk to let go of those kings we serve now, to say, I don't need this comfort. I don't need to pursue this. I can let that go. Why? Because I have a hope of eternity. And so this morning, what, what grand narrative, what, what story is being spoken over your life? What story determines your schedule and your time? What story determines how you use your money? What story speaks how you do, will do relationships? What, what story will speak with how you engage into brokenness that's all around you? What, what story shapes how you live your life today? I mean, is your life so consumed with the story of here and now that you could never let go of that and, and never be satisfied or, or have you tasted eternity? Have you, have you experienced and, and heard of where this is going and, and understood that there's an eternal hope waiting for me? If you're thinking this morning, I don't know, I, I don't know if I'm overcoming, I don't know if I'm, I'm living with this, this, my life in light of eternity, then this morning is the morning to grab a hold of that, to deal with that this morning, to, to confess it and grab a hold of the truth that Christ is Lord, that he's worth your very life. That even this morning, you would grab a hold of, of the cross of Christ at Calvary, grab a hold of the truth that he sees and understands that hurt and that pain and that fear, and that in him, you have a guaranteed future. As the worship team comes up, as we end off this morning, here's my question for you. If you've never done that, never taken your life to Christ, so I'm giving you my life and I want you as my Lord, you as my King. Do it today. If you're not sure this morning, I mean, don't roll the dice another day, but, but this morning, make sure today. Take the opportunity today to repent, to say, I need you, Jesus. Take the opportunity this morning, if you're not living in light of the hope of eternity, to say, Lord, I'm giving you this sin. I'm giving you this fear. I'm giving you my life. I want to follow you. I want to live in light of the hope of eternity. Would you stand with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, I, uh, I thank you for the truth that that for those who know, who know you, Lord Jesus, as Lord and Savior, for those who put their, their whole life, their trust, their hope in, in what you've done on the cross, where you took the penalty of sin, God, your wrath poured out, not now on us, but when we put our lives under Christ, that now, now we can have the hope of eternity. God, God, thank you for that hope. And I pray that that, that hope would change us today that we would live differently, we would love differently, we would give differently, we would serve differently because our hope isn't in the here and now, but we know that there's an eternal hope. That God, you're making all things new.
Father, thank you for the newness of life we experience even here and now, just the taste we get to experience. Lord, that there'd be people here this morning who could stand up and say, I know this newness. God is changing me. Father, I pray for more of that. Father, I pray for those here this morning who, who don't know you, God, that, that God, they, they would come to this point this morning of knowing there's a decision to make. Of where to go to quench this thirst. God, I pray this morning would be a morning where, where new life happens. God, for those here who are weighed down by, by the, the curse of sin, whether it's just the pain of life, whether sin that they're doing or sin that's been done to them, God, I pray for a newness of life today, for your healing today. God, that we look to the cross and see that you've, you've completed the work, that sin no longer has the final say, that the curse is no longer the end of the story, but Jesus, you took that curse upon yourself so that we could be set free. God, may we experience that today. Change us today. Give us the hope of eternity today, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.